The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's seven and a half minutes after 10 a.m. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for staying with us. If you've just joined us, welcome to the program. In this hour, I'm in conversation with former executive mayor of the city of Johannesburg and uh, DA leader contender Mpo Palatumpo. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome to SAFM. A very good morning to you and to the listeners, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah. How, how are you doing? How, how have you been over the last... I can't imagine the last couple of months having been easy for you. It's um, been... Yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride. It's been rough. Um, you know, you try to focus on servicing the needs of our residents. At the same time, you're holding a coalition together. At the same time, you're fighting the opposition. So it's really been challenging. But we've managed, in spite of that, to mm. achieve quite a bit for our but residents. But personally, how have you managed the mental turmoil? Well, I mean, firstly, I'm a deeply spiritual person, and that's yeah. where my sanity comes from. I make sure that I make time to to be with myself, with my Lord, and and do the necessary to to mm. regain my my composure and my calm. Mm. You also got married, so that must be a good ecosystem to support you. Lovely, the best. I never knew actually how much I needed it until I actually had it. <laughs> the difference is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the last time I saw you. Um, I'm trying to remember. It wasn't the Tabombeki dinner. I remember you sat two tables away from me uh, at his birth. It was Joburg Open. Um, you had a, you opened up Joburg Open, um, which is a major event in the DP World Tour. You have a decent golf swing. Do you play often? I don't. I'd love to. Unfortunately, I, I was just too busy. So Yeah, I mean, it was in the middle of, of, of no confidence motions and court applications and all of that. I didn't even know if I'd be back to yeah. open <laughs> <laughs> that tournament, but I ended up opening it. Yeah. Did you did you practice for that? Or did I you actually just didn't. So, uh, so I practiced for the ladies open. So I was yeah. quite ready to tee off. But for this one, I hadn't had time to practice. And I actually asked somebody to tee off for me, and they tricked me into teeing <laughs> off. They said, "No, just do it for the cameras." Yeah. And before I knew it, I had done it. Yeah, it looked it looked decent. I thought <laughs> thought you were probably like a middle handicapper. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't um, bad. But listen, you, you you're now out of the city of Joburg. I spoke to um, Silius Brink about what happened at the negotiation table. This is what I understand to have happened. The Democratic Alliance, in negotiation with the Patriotic Alliance, offered certain incentives to the PA to vote with the DA to keep you in office. Um, The PA made a very specific demand. They wanted very specifically the position of MMC of economic development. And the FedEx were not willing to give them that position. They said blatantly, hardline, no. We'll give it to anyone else except you, very specifically because you had your hands in the cookie jar the last time and an ANC-led government had to get rid of you uh, when you were there because you were messing up with the mark- with the Joburg market and, and various other uh, agencies under the control of economic development. And it was on the axis of that particular position that tilted you out of power. Am I understanding that correct? I'm actually not allowed to get into what happened in the negotiations. Unfortunately, the FedEx ruled, I don't know why, that only certain people or spokespersons of the party may speak on what actually went on. Um, I can speak in very generic terms about right. what my approach would be to coalitions, and it's that, you know, when 
deciding whether or not you're going to work with a certain political party. You right. need to decide, can you work with them or not? If you decide you can work with them, then you need to decide, are there any risks? If there's any risks, then you need to look at how do we mitigate those risks. And that would be my um, my approach to, to such partnerships. What was your experience like working with the Patriotic Alliance? I only worked with them in the health and social development portfolio from the time they joined our coalition. I think it was around January 2022. And it was lovely. And uh, We had MMC Ashley Sauls the first, who I really enjoyed working with. He was a great um, supporter. Um, he was a great ally for me in the executive, very supportive of me um, in, in a coalition you get different types of MMCs. You get those who are more um, contentious, who are more like opposition within a coalition. Mm-hmm. He was not one of those. So I really, really enjoyed. We did a lot together. We collaborated a lot. So we, yeah. we did a sort turning for the Bertrams Multipurpose Center. We opened the Davidsonville Substance Abuse Treatment Center together um, and many other exciting things. We reinstated the, 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 the not only the AIDS Council, but also the, the District Council, which meant that he could oversee not only city facilities, but any facility in the Joburg district, whether it's run by the province and the city. That's Mm. one of the things we managed to do together. So I really enjoyed working with him. Did you find the Patriotic Alliance in their politics to be extortative? In the time that they were in our government? In general. In the time that they were in our government, no. Um, I never had such an experience. Like I said, we had the health and social development portfolio and it was good. Um, In general, I think the Patriotic Alliance is very honest about what they want. Um, I think that they they really know what it is that they're after. I, I do think that there were potentially risks, but I do think that if you're then willing to let them in, you've got to identify those risks and come up with mitigating um, um, measures. What what would those risks be? Well, um, as you rightfully said, there's history, um, and that history is concerning. Right. And it's something that even I raised as, as, a, as a concern. Um, but the question then is, how do you deal with it? If you decide that someone is corrupt, for instance, you should not um, be wanting to work with them at all. Mm. If you're deciding you can work with them, then you should be able to say, okay, here's this history. We're concerned about it. How do we deal with it mm. going forward? Mm. And, and that's, for me, really what the decision is. It's either you're going to work with someone or you're not going to work with them. If you're willing to give them anything, right. then whatever characteristic you're concerned about can play out in any portfolio. That's my take. Yeah. And, and you've got to be able to put those measures in place. A little bit later on, I'm going to ask you, um, if you were to become the DA leader, if you are to become the DA leader, how would you structure the party's negotiation strategy when it comes to coalition, not just in the city of Joburg, but across the board? What would the principles be that you would use to guide that? I'll ask you that question a little bit later and we'll speak about it in detail. But keeping that in mind, would you have done anything different if you had unilateral power at negotiating the city of Joburg's coalition? I definitely would have what done would some done differently? things differently. Um, I mean, I think I've already alluded to that. I think the, the, the first part of call is to decide whether or not you want to work with someone. Um, I think we were very decisive with the EFF. The DA was very decisive on we cannot work with the EFF. Right. Um, if you decide that we can work with somebody uh, and you have reservations uh, based on history, um, that that's something that you need to manage. And, and there are ways to manage it. I mean, I'm 
very I'm treading very carefully here because yeah. I can't get into the details. No, we're speaking we're speaking happened. hypothetically. We're not yeah. speaking about the specifics. I'm not asking you what happened at the FedEx negotiation table. I'm asking you what you would have done different. Given that, I'll later ask you what your negotiation principles will be for coalitions. So let me then ask this directly: Would you have given the Patriotic Alliance the position of MMC of Economic Development if you had unilateral power to do so? I would have on condition that what would the condition have been? that there are certain mitigating measures in place. Um, I believe that if there's concerns about behavior in a particular portfolio, that behavior can still carry itself out in, in whichever right. portfolio. So if you've decided as a principal that you're willing to work with somebody, uh, m- my take then is, you know, highlight your concerns and say we're concerned about this what are we going about what are we going to do about it and put measures in place to ensure that doesn't happen and if it happens then there has to be consequence and it must be clearly stated in the agreement Mm. and final question on the city of Joburg in your time there Um, they blame you for a city whose finances are in disarray is that true it's not true. We've been very open and honest with our residents, myself and MMC Sadabi held several presses to talk about the city's finances. Um, one of the things that led us to where we were in the last few months was the fact that we could not secure the finances that we needed to run mm. the city. The city runs on a, a, a funding mix that includes um, collections, so own revenue from rates and taxes, two grants and subsidies that we get from national and provincial government, and three loans um, and 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 we had banked on securing this two billion rand DBSA loan which unfortunately the other parties which have now taken over mm. refused to to help us approve in council we needed to to get it through council there was no other way right. to, to bring so it so here in. are some key financial indicators that we need to look at did you cut down the city's wasteful expenditure yes we did did you increase the city's collection rate we we did, but um, one thing that is a reality that none of us can escape is that people right now are dealing with a lot. We had two years of COVID. We've got um, an economic crisis right. globally. We've got the war in Ukraine. We've seen a rise in the cost of living, a rise in fuel prices, etc., and that's affecting our residents. So our residents, what we're finding is they've got very little disposable income now, mm, and mm. and we're having to compete for that for that income to collect our rates and taxes. We put measures in place. So we've got an operation called Buyam Teto, which goes after those people that owe us money. We identify, um, uh, for instance, the top 100 owing customers, and we go after them and we cut them off. And that has been ongoing. I believe on our side, we've done everything we can to bring in the money we can. We've seen people come forward and pay. Um, but also what we're seeing is that some of our residents really cannot afford to pay. If you remember, one of the things we did when we took over government was to extend the debt rehabilitation program. Right. in recognition of the fact that some people have been hard hit, people have lost their businesses, people have lost their jobs, but you had to come forward with, with evidence that you can't afford to pay. So capacity to pay was a very important prerequisite before we could write off any debt, and we didn't do it all in one go. We wanted you to be rehabilitated into being a, a, a faithful rate payer going forward, and, and so there's a win-win there in the sense that you can be rehabilitated yeah. and the city can bring in whatever that they How can. How effective was the city's how effective was the city's indigent program under your term? 
I mean, it was only 18 months, so. Well, actually, I got involved with that program when I was MMC Health and Social Development. Right. In fact, it was in that time that we took it over from um, the finance department. We moved it to social development because it's, it really is a social program. Um, and, and we did very well. What we did is in, initially you could only register for ESP at our revenue customer service centers. We decentralized it. We took it into clinics. We took it into multipurpose centers and various other um, um, centers to increase access for our residents and we saw more people come forward I did a road show I went into communities and I taught about ESP I explained it to people and encouraged people to to register and we've seen its growth since uh, one of the things that we were about to do was to establish a bigger directorate a subdirectorate within social development to 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 capacitate it further um, one of the biggest challenges though that we had was network connectivity and that was one of the things that we were grappling with because you do need to to have connectivity to register people mm. but uh, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd say we've managed to grow it in the time that I got involved with the program from the time I was at MMC. Chulis yeah. Malema claimed on Sunday you reached out to him during the negotiation process. Uh, did you do so? I never spoke to Julius during the negotiation process. Did you speak to anyone close to him in the I, EFF? We, we spoke to a lot of people during that time. And I think, look, I mean, in Johannesburg, you've got uh, all types of people. You've got business people who are interested in what happens in the city. And, and people would want to do what they can to try and save right, the right. city. So um, I wouldn't uh, say that people didn't reach out in, in an attempt to say, hey, you know, do the right thing or do the responsible thing. But I didn't phone Julius myself, no. Did anyone in your team do so? No, no, no. Would you have taken a meeting with him? I will take a meeting with anybody. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I've got Tumpo Palati in uh, studio with me. Give us a call. What's your comment? What's your question? Let's take a quick break. Morning, Oliver. This is Zanele in Deben. I like um, Umpo, even though she was in my mayor because I'm in Deben. Uh, but I used to see how she interact with those who were complaining, like about Operation Tutula and the uh, Lags. And uh, but now I'm afraid because most of the women who have raised, who have raised above uh, within the DA and challenged the presidential po position, uh, they are nowhere to be seen now. They, they, it's just like they, they vanished. Uh, where is Pumzile Fandam? Where is um, is Mbalintuli? who worked very hard for the party and it seems as if now even Mpo it might be the last time we hear about her and I'm just afraid but I like her thank you Thank you so much for that. Uh, on the first question Mpo unlike the last time this motion of no confidence I, I don't I don't think you have legal basis to challenge it on court. Would you? Is that an option you consider? No, not at all. Um, I was always very clear with the court bid that it was about the legality of the process. Right. If a process was done legally in recognition of the laws of the country as well as the rules of counsel, then there's no need to yeah. challenge it legally. Without going into the details of what happened at the negotiation table, here's a more normative question. Do you think the DA's uh, FedEx fought hard enough to keep you as the mayor? No. Okay, zero eight six triple zero two zero three to give us a call. I would love to hear what your comments or questions are for uh, uh, Mpo Palatus in studio with us. Mpo, 
so you want to run for D, the lead of the DA. You said the party, you, you've, you've done a couple of interviews, you said the party needs change. People have reached out to you and say, we need a leader that can embrace that change. We think you can spearhead that change. Um, and that's the positive argument for why you want to become the DA leader. The negative argument is to say the reasons, the things you want to fix is the first you claim that there's a trust deficit between the voters and the party. What is that trust deficit? So I've complained. This is, you, you told this to Temegil Mkhototo in an interview um, two days ago. I did, and it was also in my statement when I announced right. my, my candidacy. So when I was campaigning to be mayor of the city of Johannesburg, I interacted with a lot of residents. And you obviously trying to sell them this idea of a DA government that could change their lives and respond to you know their needs on the ground. And over and over, I heard people say, we know the DA governs well. We don't question the DA's brand of good governance. However, we have this mistrust of the party. Um, a lot of people still feel that the DA is a white party. Right. They feel that it's a party that only takes care of the interests of white minorities. Um, I got that a lot, whether it's true or not. Um, you know, They feel that the DA is not in touch with their plight, their issues, and that it's not concerned about resolving their challenges. Um, I got that over and over, even with every interview, with every voter interaction, yeah. I got the same. And and I realized this is really a big problem. It's a mountain. It's standing before us and the possibility to govern in this country. Um, it's something that I think with 2024 around the corner, we need to take very seriously and have measures in place to address it. You also then made the argument that the party's only been focusing on one group of people. Is, is, it, is the group of people you're talking about the narrow white interest of the voter base of the DA? I didn't say that it's been focusing on one group of people. I said that that's the prevailing perception. How yes. much truth do you think there is to that perception? It, it's it's not it's not entirely true in the sense that if you look at um, data that's been published on service delivery in poor areas, in fact it was proven by our stats say that where the DA governs, we govern better for the poor, the marginalized right. um, in terms of provision of basic services, be it water, sanitation, um, electricity, etc. So it's, it's not entirely true. But you see there's a communication breakdown clearly right. between the Democratic Alliance and the broader South African constituency, uh, and, and and that needs to be fixed. So if if the perception that the DA is a party only interested in the issues of white people and people in affluent areas and not the poor, and you say that there's no truth to that perception, then what are you challenging John Stienhazen for? Clearly, he's been governing, he's been leading a party that governs well. Um, you're not changing the substance you want to change the perception well perceptions are important because perceptions can stand in the way of you being able to govern and if you don't see perceptions as important to engage with to confront then that's a problem because it limits your growth the DA cannot govern if the electorate right. don't trust the DA so we can have a very good product of governing well but if we're not trusted by the majority of South Africans we'll sit with that product and not be able to actually implement any of our policies mm. and our plans the only way we'll be able to do that is once the trust deficit has been dealt with. And, and it's my sense that the party, because we know that, you know, we, we actually take care of everybody. We actually for everyone. We, we're very comfortable in the sense that we've not seen a need to go out and actively connect with these people and say to them, this is what we've actually done for you. And this is what we're actually offering you mm. in our policy. So the trust deficit is born out of a perception that's not rooted in fact, uh, that's born out of a communication breakdown. 
What has the current administration done badly as far as communicating the successes of the party? It's more than just a communication breakdown, and, and certainly communication is part of it. But it's also got to do with you know, how people connect with you, how people perceive you to be relatable, to be a representative of them, uh, particularly in your leadership structures. Everywhere where I've interacted with, with, with potential voters, they say, well, we see these black people in the party, but we're not seeing enough of you in, in leadership right. structures. We're not seeing enough of you making decisions, speaking with a voice that represents us. The, the, those are the cries of the people that we want to put mm. us in power. So, so all those things would need to be addressed. And I would like, I'm, I'm putting my hand up, I'd like to see more people put right. their hands up because ultimately you need a critical mass of, of people who represent the South Africa that we want to take uh, into the post-2024 era. So comparatively, you're more relatable, more relatable than John, Helen, Absolutely. David Maynir? Absolutely. What makes you more relatable? Well, um, I, I think my, my, my life, for, for starters, um, right. I grew up in a township. I, I I went to school in a multiracial school. I I've I've worked in rural areas. I've worked in urban areas. I've worked in, in the public sector. I've worked in the private sector. I've run my own business. I think I've interacted with South Africa in its in its diversity myself first before I even joined politics. And I think that makes me relatable. Um, I'm not talking theory. I'm talking things that I've actually lived and seen. I know what it's like to live in a shack. I know what it's like to to live in a township. You know, I. I know what it's like or the plight of our people I have first-hand experience with it um, and I can also relate to the affluent because I've also experienced that life so so I think that first and foremost makes me relatable but I also think that um, if you look at my track record and how I've responded to the plight of our people the fact that I quit my business in 2011 to move to Johannesburg to study for four years in order for me to be equipped to resolve the problems of the poor the marginalized the vulnerable that is that says to our, our voters that I mean business um, mm -hmm. I'm really invested in their well-being that invested that I was willing to take a knock in my own personal life to invest in myself so I can give of myself to help them um, bring about the change that they would like to see when I was done with my studies after four years I could have gone back to my business but I then went to Alexandra seeing how the people of Alex live again I made a decision to put my stethoscope down and get into politics and be a counselor I, I was hoping at the time I'd be a PR counselor based in Alex and drive Alex issues but that's how invested I am I think at every turn with every life decision I've made I've been able to demonstrate mm. that I really carry the people of South Africa in my heart particularly the poor and the marginalized give us a call 086002 0032. Do you have a comment or a question for Umpopalati? She's in studio with me. It's 31 minutes after 10 o'clock. Let's take your news headlines with Leander Maume. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. In conversation with former executive mayor of the city of Johannesburg and DA leader contender Umpopalate, if you want to give us a call, shoot us a call 086 We'll come to your calls very shortly. Janus, in Cape Town, I do see you. I'll be coming to you very shortly. Musima Mane told the same story. I'm black, I'm poor, I grew up in a township, I've interacted in a, in a multiracial environment with, all, with South Africans from all walks of life, very similar to yours. What makes yours different? 
Well, if I look at uh, where Musi was, and I, I love Musi and I have great respect for Musi. Um, I think he did a great job as a leader of the party. Musi is one of the influences that caused me to join the party, seeing him in that leadership role and, and, and seeing him really take on the, the, the plight of South Africans in their entirety gave me the confidence that the Democratic Alliance is a party for all South Africans, and that's why I joined the DA. Of course, I looked at the policies and, and whatever else the DA was offering, but Musi was, for me, a crucial, crucial influence in my own decision as a black person to, to join, join the, party. the party. And and I, and I always respect him for that. Um, I, I do think, though, that if you look at where I am and where I've been in the party, so I joined the party in 2015. I joined in 2015. In 2016, I became an MMC. So I was automatically in government um, as an MMC, mm. rolling out programs and, 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 and balancing that with the politics. 2019, we were out. I became an opposition councillor as state for two years so I also got experience in opposition politics and then in 2021 I was voted in as mayor uh, and I got to lead a multi-party coalition I believe that there's a lot of experience that I've gained in the years that I've been in the party being in government being in, in opposition leading a complex coalition and dealing with very complex issues and I think that's really given me um, a head start if you like if I were to be federal leader of the Democratic Alliance so your argument is you have more governance experience than what Musi had given. He didn't serve in the city. He wasn't a councillor. He wasn't in the province, in the provincial legislature. You have experience in governance. In, on, I think my experience is, is multifold. Right. I, and I think, yes, governance is important. Right. If you're leading a party like the Democratic Alliance that has governments across the country, I believe it's important to have had governance experience. And I've, I've experienced this firsthand where I, w- I would get frustrated with some of the leadership decisions that were made by people who had never governed. And I mm. felt that they didn't always understand what was really mm. going on on the ground. I think it's important to have um, opposition experience, governance experience, politics experience. I think all of that is very important in the skills mix that Mm. you need. You speak a lot about your background. Where are you from? Where were you born? I was born in Hebron. Uh, Hebron is north of Pretoria. Mm. Uh, I lived with my grandmother for a bit and then I moved in with my parents in Mabopani when I was about three years old and I started school when I was four at a primary school in Mabopani. It was a Mabopane primary school. It was a poor primary school, poor primary believe school. it or not, <laughs> yes. Uh, you studied medicine and became a medical doctor. Where did you study? Um, so I, I, before I studied medicine, I tried to be an engineer. So I spent two years Me in, too. in engineering. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not an engineer, you're not an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> it took me two years to figure that out. And then, yes, um, I did that at WITS, and then I went to Medunsa. Me because I, Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, so I, it took me consulting with an educational psychologist to actually figure out who I am and what yeah. I'm good at. And that's how I ended up studying medicine, and it was the best decision I made. Uh, but I always knew I wasn't going to practice. I knew that was a stepping stone to something else. Mm. Uh, it taught me a lot of skills. Um, medicine has a lot of transferable skills, and, and I believe that I've brought that into even my political career. Did you practice at all? I did. I, I worked for six years. Um, I did multiple things. I worked in the private sector, public sector. I ran my own GP practice, and I ran my own business. Uh, mm, I had a mm. consultancy where I, I gave services to SASA, the Social Security Agency. Oh, what were those services? 
in in two provinces. I had a contract in Gauteng and in the northwest. Uh, where my life really changed was in Khanisa. That's where I saw a lot of West poor Khanisa. people. Khanisa is almost close to the Northern Cape. So, ah, um, yeah, okay. it's, it's a part state. of the northwest. Oh, northwest. Okay. close to the Northern Cape. And there I had people coming to me with their hospital files, asking me for disability grants. People who had no disability, all they needed was a job and to be able to put food on the table. And I realized that South Africa has big problems. Uh, but when I looked at how to assist these people, I realized mm. we actually didn't have a, a system that could help them. Um, we had fragmentation in government. So in our hospitals, for instance, you don't necessarily have a social worker that you can refer somebody to if they don't have access to, to, to proper nutrition. And and I wanted to learn how to, to manage in an intersectoral fashion because I saw that fragmentation is a problem. A lot of times we've got solutions in government mm-hmm. because we're not speaking to each other as government departments. We're not able to resolve the challenges of the people on the ground. That's why I went back to school. Uh, when I went back to study, intersectoral collaboration was my area of interest. And um, I learned a lot in the four years that mm-hmm. I was at Vince. And which public hospitals did you work in as, as your time as a doctor? So I did my internship in Tembisa, which was at the time the second busiest um, hospital in the yeah, Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Um, great experience. Then I went to Hamanskral. That was great uh, for my community service, where I also got to service clinics in rural um, Hamanskral, Atladistat, Khomkhomo, Rechtesluot, and in various other areas where I got to service the clinics while I was based at Jubilee Hospital. I then went into the mines. Um, I, I wanted to get a bit of private healthcare experience to be able to compare with what government was doing. Mm. And I worked for Anglo Platinum, Exara Cole, Lonman, a bit. Um, and then I went into GP practice in Potchefstroom. Um, and, and then I got my SASA contracts, and those were in two provinces. So I had multiple offices that I was servicing. Mm. Let's take a couple of calls 086 Yanus in Cape Town. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you, my dear lady. Uh, if you're going to be fed up, if you're going to be elected as a DA leader, please don't give up politics because we need, need people like you with the experience and guts to, to improve the situation of, for the older people. Uh, you mentioned about trust deficiency, particip- participation, and uh, uh, such things like this. In Western Cape, Western Cape, the, gover- the, the DA govern. Uh, as, as we know, but uh, honestly, the participation of, of all of us is not actually existing. Mm. They actually tell us, tell us what to do. Okay. Don't vote. Don't vote for the for ANC. Otherwise, they they would destroy the the the, the, the Western Cape. Mm. My my point is that if you're gonna if you're gonna be fed up, please join other party. Many <laughs> many other people like myself. I was the deputy chairperson of UDM for the Western Province. I'm the member of the of the Action SA. Many DA leaders joined the Action SA. Mm. Please don't give up. Uh, also, talking about talking about the DA to govern. I don't think mm. they will govern. They will ever govern the, our country. Yeah, they. Yeah. They've got okay. the good Janus, ideas. We're gonna have to leave you there. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Um, are you going to have it? <laughs> 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 Should you lose? <laughs> Oh my goodness! I wouldn't mind going to Harvard, by the way. <laughs> whether I win or lose, it's, yeah. it's so difficult to study while you govern. Yeah. It's really difficult, um, a balancing act. But um, I'm not planning to leave the Democratic Alliance, and just so I can put it out there, I'm not planning to join Action SA either. Your husband is an Action SA. He's quite prominent in the party. Um, how do you expect a DA supporter or voter to trust that you're not going to share party secrets with your husband over breakfast? 
You know, uh, I expect maturity from politicians. My husband and I are very mature politicians. Right. We we have a rule at home that we're not going to recruit each other. We support each other. Okay. We we believe that we want the same thing for our country. So we actually don't even see ourselves. Why, why would you not join XNSA? It's a party whose ideological disposition is not vastly different to that of the Democratic Alliance. It just seems like a coalition of the wounded coming out of the DA. Why isn't that a party you would think is a viable alternative to being a political home for you? Them or even build one SA, Musi's party. But why would you leave one thing to join the same thing? I mean, you've just said that there's not much difference. And and for me, that's the real point, is that Action SA was born out of the resignation of Herman Mashaba from the city of Johannesburg after he had his own run-ins. With Did you leadership. enjoy working with him? Yeah, I enjoyed working with Herman. Hi, Oliver. I want to ask uh, Paul Palazzi there, Dr. Paul Palazzi, whether she sees a, a future for herself in the DA, considering a, a vast experience in local government. I mean, uh, she could advance herself uh, more uh, uh, in the other two major parties. Thanks, Frank Maritzburg. Mm-hmm. You've answered that question, I think. Um, you, one, what, what you told Clement Magnatella yesterday was very interesting about John Steenhays. And you said John has been a good leader in his capacity, uh, but he has some blind spots. You refer to those blind spots as being Cape Town and the Western Cape. What do you mean by that? So there is a sense in the DA that because we've governed with such comfort in the Western Cape, where, you know, we had a majority. And yes, in Cape Town, Helen Zeller had a seven-party coalition at some point, but that's a while back when so much has changed until then. Um, it, we, we feel, a lot of us outside of the Western Cape often feel as though the Western Cape is not really in touch with what's happening in the rest of the country. Um, I do know that there are people in the Western Cape who are starting to want to uh, to wake up to what's happening outside mm-hmm. of the Western Cape, and they're starting to, wanting, to want to be in touch and, and and see how they can reach out and assist and support other governments outside of the Western Cape. Um, I mean, you've spent time in the Western Cape, I'm sure, and you mm. can see it's it's a whole new world. It's very different. We grapple here with different challenges. And, and when you have people who have that kind of disposition, making decisions for you in Gauteng, in Johannesburg, it's really, it can be frustrating. Okay. Uh, give us a call, 086-000-2032. Just a few big issues that people are going to want to ask you on. BEE, what do you think it is? Because I've heard you say that the problem with BEE is that it's called, it's it's created a, a group of black elite amongst the politically connected. And do you think a means testing system would be better at alleviating poverty and, and inequality? But I, I'm, I'm curious about what you think BEE is in policy and in practice. Well, I mean, I know that it was put in place to try and empower the the, the impoverished. So it's a, it's a system of redress, really, that the NC was trying to to implement. I don't think it was implemented well. I think that in its implementation, yes, we did create a black elite. I mean, if you look at our, our, the Gini coefficients as as a metric, if you look at what happened from 1994 until now, you'll see a widening in the gap between the rich and the poor. And this happened while BE was in place. So so that to me says it's not working. It's not working to empower the poorest of the poor in South Africa. Now, we recognize that there's a need for redress. We recognize So are you that arguing that BE didn't exclude white people, it just made them richer? Because 
If the, if, the, if by the logic of your arguments, the Gini coefficient widened, it means white people got richer while BE was in place. So white people have not been excluded from participation in the economy as a result of BE. Is that correct what you say? I never said they got excluded. Yes. Right. In fact, yeah. So I studied project and program management and I studied corporate finance. And I remember us discussing this very issue um, that BE actually benefited a lot of white people. A lot of white people benefited from BE. But a lot of the black elite also benefited from BE. So the black right. who were connected politically to opportunities, they were able to access those opportunities. And we saw many millionaires mm. come because of BEE. So the thing about BEE, and from my understanding, is that it's not just a policy about who gets state tenders or not. It's also a policy that keeps businesses and organizations, especially large listed corporations, accountable for how many black people they employ, how many black people they give opportunity to rise up the ranks of the company uh, through middle management, senior management, and, and, and rise up to the executive. That's the aim outside of outside of doing business with the state. That's one of the uh, aims of BEE. And as a result, a lot of black people are in employment and in senior leadership. Uh, and not all of them. I would. I, I, I don't think you seem to say that all senior managers and executives of listed companies in South Africa are politically connected to the ANC. It's achieved a great deal in that term, would you not say? I, I, I look at the gap between the rich and the poor, which is ultimately data that we can look at and, and say, has this worked ever since the NC took over? Has BEE really worked in widening, in, in, in narrowing the gap? And the truth is it just got worse. It just got, mm. the gap just widened. So something isn't right. Something there isn't working. Data doesn't lie. Um, and, 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 and our Gini coefficient has grown with the most unequal country in the world under the NC. So what is a means test? So a means test says, instead of us just considering your race and assuming just because you're black, it means you, you've you never had privilege, you've never been advantaged, you've never had access to opportunities, let's rather do use a scientific approach and say, you know, whether you're black or white, let's see where you are in terms of your means. So it's a test of your means, and it's a test of your eligibility for opportunity, so that we migrate as many people up the social gradient as possible, and not just the few, right. and like what the ANC has done, creating this ANC. This, this black elite. Why do we have this black elite? Because they continue to benefit over and over and over and over again at the expense of the masses of our people who remain in poverty. So if a means test is, okay, you, you're not, if a means test is to determine whether you're in privilege or not, necessarily the policy would be uh, covering the vast majority of black people in South Africa and would be excluding invariably yep. and ostensibly so the vast majority of white people in South Africa because white poverty, while it does exist, is very minimal compared to black poverty, right? Absolutely. White unemployment is in single digits. So why then change? It's effectively BE by a different name. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's certainly not. The exclusion of the black elite is important to give others an opportunity. The, the black elite is like, 15 people, I'm obviously being <laughs> facetious here, but it's such so few people uh, to speak about that have abused the system that, and, and not taking into consideration the vast majority of black people that have benefited in employment because of BEE uh, requirements. It is economic justice for all. The The Democratic Alliance does not believe in in going back to pre-1994 times and using race uh, as a, a measure or, 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 or a qualification criteria to access anything. We believe that we should be a party for all South Africans and we should start to build one South Africa for all. But we should build into our plans and our programs 
programs, systems that will right. promote the upward migration of all people. If you were previously disadvantaged, you will be taken care of through this means testing because you'll be able to demonstrate that you need access to opportunity and you'll be able to, to be given that access. If you if you are well off, you're doing well, we will then ask you to allow other people to, to yeah. climb up and we will eventually narrow that To what gap. extent does the fact of race matter to you? Race is very important to me. To what extent? To to what extent should it reflect in policy if it's important to you? I think it, it reflects in our policy invariably, and that's what that's the point that you've just made. The fact that our policy says let's do means testing and look at who is who is previously disadvantaged. If black people were, which you and I know they were, they would they would invariably qualify for whatever opportunities that there are in a DA led government. Okay, give us a call zero eight six triple zero two zero three two Katleho in the Val. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Oliver. Mm, go ahead, sir. Sure. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, and Mempo, you you sound like such a human, a good human being. But uh, uh, I don't think politics uh, is about being a good person. Uh, it's about aspirations and interests. Now, having said that, I want to ask the question to say. In fact, before I ask that question, I want to say, when I'm, uh, Oliver, that. Uh, there's a difference between BE and employment equity. And when it comes to employment of black people in uh, managerial positions and so on, upward social mobility in terms of employment, that's the policy of the, the current government policy is employment, the Employment Equity Act <coughs> and not BE. However, the question I wanted to ask was to say uh, to what extent uh, does the DA uh, as a party, uh, agree uh, that there was a historical, a historical injustice in this country. Okay. Now, uh, of of land dispossession and and Mopalat, I would like to hear her uh, articulate to say uh, what needs to be done in terms of that historical injustice. Because okay. in my view, uh, because in my view, uh, uh, there's a reluctance on the part of the DA really, uh, to resolve the historical injustice that happened in this country. Thank you so much for that, Katako. appreciate it. What's your position on the land question? So the DA has a land reform policy. It's quite extensive, um, and I would urge the, the listener to please get on our website, Democratic Alliance website, and, and, and read that policy. The DA recognizes this um, race-based disposition of land um, and, and, and it outlines it in the policy. In fact, it takes cognizance of the fact that things happened that were wrong from the Native Land Act. It states all the various legislation that were put in that continued to dispossess our, our, the majority of our people of the land that they deserve. And the DA believes that there ought to be redress, meaningful redress in, in, in the land reform space. The DA, however, brings in an argument that in, in, in us addressing that gap we should not we should balance it with food security so what we've seen under the ANC and what it's offering and and I know this from even personal experience because mm. my family has land claim issues on both sides my mom's side and my dad's side so I've also had first-hand experience with this is that many of our people then get the land back and what we do what what has happened is we've lost the the productive capability of that land in in terms of agricultural produce so the DA is saying as much as we giving back the land, let's do it in a responsible manner so that it does not hurt 
okay. uh, uh, yes, uh, food security in the country. Now, you know that right now, that's a huge concern for all South Africans, um, that we're going to, to see some food insecurity in, in the recent future. Uh, and, and, and it's important that we're responsible with our land reform policies. And I believe that the DA's policy is, is, is a good alternative to what the NC has mm. offered. Mm. What's your position on the Israel question? It's one that the DA has been in hot water for as well. The the DA believes in in a two party state, so it, in a two state solution rather, and it, it it it's not pro Israel, it's not pro Palestine. If you look at the DA, uh, if you look at people who are pro, you think that's the correct position? Oh yes, absolutely. I I believe so, and and I've engaged a lot with people who are very um um um. Who, who feel very strongly about the Middle East, and I believe that they, that is the best position, yes. Yeah. Uh, Savage in Pretoria, we pressed for time. I'm going to ask you to be short. Go ahead. Savage? Okay. Eunice in Johannesburg, good morning. Eunice? No, can you hear me? Yes, Eunice, go ahead. No, this is Savage. Oh, okay. Savage, go ahead. Yeah, uh, just to put a disclaimer so you answer my question in context. Uh, I am anything but NC, anything but corruption. Oh, sorry, but your line is better. I can't hear you. Can I ask you to repeat that? I'm saying I'm anything but NC, anything but corruption. My question is now, assuming that she wins the DA and the best that could happen for the DA is coalition governing in 2024. How is she going to do it different mm. to, to do this coalition? She failed in doing it because mm. now, for the past few months, Doing has been at some fighting for this coalition thing. Assuming at national level, does she have a strategy to ensure that sure. this doesn't repeat? Means she gets the coalition national or national level. Savage, thank you so much for that. That's the question I preempted earlier. Do you want to respond? So what I struggle with in the current scheme of things is that, you know, I believe that there is no real consensus on what constitutes a majority within a coalition, right. number one. Um, on the one hand, some may believe that if you've got the, the highest number of seats, your voice is, should be louder and, and the strongest in a coalition. On the other side, you've got one-seat parties that believe that they should have an equal voice to the party with 71 seats. And I think the sooner we agree on what constitutes a majority, the better, because that that then manages expectations. If, for instance, you have to make a collective decision and the DA comes and says, well, we don't agree with this, and five other parties say we agree with it, how do we proceed? And I don't think we're clear on that, and, and that is problematic. How will you bring about the clarity? I, I would I would facilitate conversations firstly and make sure that everybody is on the same page because I don't think that everyone is on the same page about what a majority really constitutes and that's why you'll hear our partners complain that the DA is arrogant and and you'll hear the DA say well you know we believe that our voice is important so in our coalition in Johannesburg as an example the DA had 71 seats the next party with the highest number of seats was Ash and SA with 44 mm-hmm. and then you had the PA with 8 and IFP with 7 and then you had your 4, 3 one seat parties mm. uh, and if you're looking at that if if from a DA's point of view the 71 seats gives them a stronger voice but from a say Culp's point of view the one seat gives them the same voice as the DA we're coming in with with, with an understanding that's not the same mm. okay. you know? yeah okay. and I, I, I want us to wrap up here I asked John Steen Hazen recently when I interviewed him why he thinks he's the best candidates to continue to lead the DA and this is what he had to say 
Well, I think that I've been able to pick the deer up from 2019 when the, the leaders trampled it and walked out uh, on the party. We've been able to re-establish the deer as an electoral force where we're uh, prevailing again in by-elections. We're growing uh, across the country. Our governments, uh, where we were given an outright majority, are governing well and setting the example. I'd like the opportunity to be able to lead the party into the next election so we can complete this process of the DA's um, re reform and come back and we want to serve South Africans to be able to bring the brand of good accountable government yeah. that delivers to every corner of the country. Do you want to respond to that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's John's view. I, I've been in government in Joburg. I've been frustrated. I've been frustrated because I couldn't attract votes. Um, I only got 26% of the votes, and that's why I ended up in a very complex coalition. I would have liked to end up with more votes. Each time people said they won't vote for the DA, they complained about the leadership of the DA. They complained that the leadership did not represent them. They complained that they didn't trust the leadership of the DA. They complained that they would like to see a different leadership of the DA before they can consider being a okay. part of the so DA. So other than relatability and governance experience, what are you bringing to the table? Well, I'm bringing my entire experience, which I've already talked right. about. Yes, I believe that I understand what needs to happen to take the, the DA further than where we are now. I don't think that we're growing as much as we could. And I think that, yes, as much as we're governing in different places, it's a mess. I mean, I've, I've been attending mayoral breakaways. Today you're 34, the next day you're 32, the next day you're 20, because it's on and off, motions of no confidence everywhere. There's no stability in our governments. That's a problem. We've got to be able to grow to form more stability stable governments so that we can begin to really show the dear brand of good governance. We're not able to do that. So in a nutshell, you'll do a better job than Stian Hazen at that? We should be able to stabilize our governments. And, and right now, I worry. So that is that yes? Yes, definitely. Okay. definitely. <laughs> I just want to know how you men in studio there. We uh, just want to find out what criteria you're going to use to solve our energy crisis that we are in. Very briefly, I'm going to be late for a minute for news, but you, you had an energy plan in the city of Johannesburg. In a minute, talk about it. ESCOM is failing. Um, I, I think we can all see ESCOM has failed. The first thing to do to, to get energy and security back into our cities is to move away from ESCOM, a dependency. What we did in, in Joburg is we started opening up for independent power producers. Uh, that program, in fact, we, we issued a request for proposals, which closes on the 10th of February, where we'll be able to roll out the first IPP programs in the city. We had a plan that I announced on the morning, in fact, of my ousting, which was also, again, going to offset about three stages of load shedding. You have to be creative, innovative, and work with the private sector, work with what you have, but we need to move away from ESCOM dependency. Mpopalata, thank you so much for coming. Uh, all the best in your bit against uh, for the position of the DA leader. Speak to you soon. Thank you.